In this episode of You're Not My Father, we interview the fantastical creator of the fantasy serial, a mini-tale, the author Jake White. Stand by, true believers. Another episode of You're Not My Father is here. Wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. We're not that serious. Cue the real music. Welcome back to You're Not My Father, the best family-friendly podcast from Alaska and the side of Anchorage, the side I live on. I am your host, Thomas Brando Greenman. I am a father, a husband, and my curiosity, and one, two, three, four, five, I can't even keep count of track of all the mistakes I've made, but they have given me a world of experiences that I want to share with you, and maybe even make you laugh. And you, and that guy over there, and hey, you in the back, you forgot to close the door. Our podcast is made for you, and especially that guy back there, because he didn't close the door, to learn something positive, something that you can apply to your life as both a parent, kid, otherwise, or maybe a dog or a cat, a boat and a train. So without further ado, let's do something. Today's show is sponsored by me. Thank you, me. Hello, me. Meet the real me. But hey, if you've got some disposable income and you feel like you want to spread the word on your product... Let us know on facebook.com slash YNMF show or via email at YNMF show at gmail.com. Welcome back to You're Not My Father. Um, today we are doing a, yet another interview in a long series of interviews. Uh, today our guest is Jacob, I'm sorry, Jake White. Um, he's with uh, a mini tale, it's a cosmic fantasy serial. Um, and would you, Jake, would you classify that as a podcast or how would you describe that? It's, it's basically short fiction every week. So it's almost like a magazine or a fiction blog, but basically a novel cut up over weeks. If that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. I, I looked at it a little bit before we got onto the, um, the, uh, the interview here over the past couple of days and it's, it's pretty awesome. He's got a really great original story. So with that, Jake, tell us a little bit about you and um, about you, what you do, and just kind of give us a, give us the brief. Awesome. Okay. So, hi, I'm Jake, and I I'm an author. So I I write stories, and I focus mainly on fantasy and weird stuff. And a many tale, my serial, basically came about because I was training to be a pro athlete for a little while, all on top of being an author. So I didn't go to university. I trained full-time, and I wrote full-time, and then when I dropped my athletic career, I decided to go ahead and try to do something a little bit different and a little bit stranger, and I kind of took some in for uh, inspiration from everything from podcasts to comics, 
and decided to have have my way with the medium and just sort of throw something out into the world. So yeah, that, that's sort of a brief introduction, I'd say. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I, I just got to ask, what, su- what sport did you leave to come to this? I was a discus thrower. So big weights and big distances. <laughs> I tell you what, so um, as, as typical for our, our viewers or <laughs> viewers, listeners, um, you know, we throw a bunch of questions at people and we typically like to get those back. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and his answers were really, really, really interesting. So knowing more about him and then hearing you say you were a discus thrower, I've, I'm kind of flabbergasted. I don't know if I've ever met anybody quite as interesting as you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I got a, I've been very blessed with the situations that I came into and, and as I answer those questions and what we're about to get into very blessed with who my mom is and the way that she and my family supported me and just the, the, the weird doors they didn't realize they were opening just by kind of being themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I get that a lot. Me and my brother are pretty weird people. <laughs> we're doing a lot of strange things. That's okay. Um, you know, um, I'll just kind of segue into something small and we'll jump back into it. But mm-hmm. um, in my business, we're always trying to look at how we can distinguish ourselves from other people. And there's yeah. this great book I started reading. It's called purple cow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why would you think purple cow? And it's, I love dad jokes. So um, <laughs> a purple cow stands out in his field. It's like, yes. So, I mean, I'm not going to call you a purple cow, but (laughs) I'll take it. I'll be a purple cow. (laughs) You're certainly standing out in your field, no doubt, no doubt. (laughs) Okay, so let's jump into uh, the first question. Um, So it's it's typically it's what we always ask people: How important do you think having a father in your life is? Yeah, it's it's pretty vitally important, and and. For a number of reasons, I'm sure that you've talked about this on your podcast a ton, considering what your podcast is about. Yeah. It's important for just about every reason that anybody could possibly imagine, whether it comes to support or leading by example inadvertently or specifically, whether it's purposeful or not purposeful. And for me, as, as much as I love my dad, it was absolutely my mom who, who mm-hmm. kind of took that role. Now, was she, um, from, from, from what I could tell from some of your answers, mm-hmm. are your parents divorced currently? Yes. They got divorced when I was around 12. Okay. And so, um, as far as like your mother being that strong role model where your mm-hmm. father maybe didn't get a chance to play that or, or didn't play that role, was she always that even whenever they were married as well? Yes. She, she has always been a very an extremely ambitious person Mm -hmm. and what's so interesting about her is that that ambition is not cold or cruel and i think that's with a lot of women a lot of men sometimes when they get super ambitious they become very closed off they can become very aggressive and my mom is sort of the opposite she has that maternal instinct she's extremely loving towards me and my brother and when it comes to life like she's an artist she's a choreographer she's done film tv some Broadway stuff, and she's also an educator and a professor, and now a businesswoman. But she has always been super, super driven. 
just extraordinarily forward thinking. And my dad was not like that. <laughs> do you, do you regret your father not being more like that? Or um, do you think there just wasn't enough room in the, the family dynamic for him to be more of that? Because your mother was just, you know, it sounds like she's a force of nature. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's an absolute hurricane. Yeah. And so no, we, no, it's, it's weirdly because I've actually been thinking about this a lot. I think because of the decision to quit athletics and start to kind of move on because I'm 23. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of getting to that point where you, the decisions that you make are so much more important now. Everything right. is, is, a, is a huge step in the most exhilarating way. So starting to kind of think about where I come from more and where I can go and trying to dissect my own brain, and my own past to figure out what's going on. No, I definitely don't regret my dad being the way that he is because he's, if I didn't have him, I wouldn't have been able to recognize where I could have gone because of my mom, if that makes sense. It, it does. Um, I think about the word perspective a lot. Yes. And I'm, I'm trying to teach my seven-year-old son what perspective is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I'm not sure if he gets it. <laughs> But I, I totally get that. Um, I, I feel my as myself, I feel like I've always been a very introspective person. And, um, you know, your comment about, um, oh, what was it? Um, you know, your mother being, you know, a force of nature, but um, her not being aggressive and, and cold towards that. Um, that's something I struggle with as well. You know, mm-hmm. like, like I have to. I have to be that rock, you know, in my family. You know, I'm the, I wouldn't say that my wife is plays second fiddle to me, but she, 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 she thinks of herself in that role. And so she puts a lot of that stuff on my shoulders. And sometimes I do, I can kind of come off as cold or um, aggressive somewhat. And um, yeah, so I, I, I can kind of feel that. Um, but tell us more about your mom, like as far as like, you know, her being that real father figure, um, what was the best advice she ever gave you? Ooh, interesting because she is an extremely, and, and again, I, I mentioned this earlier, like when we were just first started talking, a lot of where I come from wasn't advice that was said. It was just the way that people acted. Mm, and yeah. the, I mean, the best thing that she's ever done for me She's always saying, you know, you have to go after it. You have to go after it. She's a, a college professor, so she also teaches dance. And she runs the Civic Red Opera in Pittsburgh, the education department. So she's in charge of all of the education programs, whether it becomes outreach for disabled performers or, you know, kid programs from seven all the way up until they become professionals. So the, the level at which she performs, not only is she making art and traveling the country, but she's also running a multi-million dollar educational program. That, and a lot of the, I can't believe that. It's, I mean, I can believe it. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, wow. You know, no, it's, it's really cool. All that. And the, the advice would definitely, it was never said, it was never like a sit down and here you go, son, like, this is how you have to do it. It was just watching the way that she acted and then seeing the way that, Okay, say she was in class and me and my brother would be attending class. I could see the kids that were out there performing poorly by choice. 
you know, they weren't eating right. They weren't getting the sleep they needed to get. They weren't training correctly. And I could see her reaction to that being so vicious because when you're, when you're after something and you're trying to teach people how to, to go out and be successful and you're successful yourself, I'm sure it's extremely difficult to, to look at these kids failing because they actually aren't stepping up to the plate and noticing the way that she was acting. And then she'd come home and be so loving and supportive, the supportive nature of being at home and then being able to travel with her and go to shows and see the way that production was run and noticing the way that she acted around powerful people, the way that she spoke. Best thing she ever did for me, my brother was simply exposing us to the process. That that's absolutely true. She, she was really open with me, my brother, and I appreciate that because she inadvertently made us both into very driven people. Do you think, um, I, I heard the saying at one point and it was like a, like a lightning rod to my, to my brain, but basically it was, um, and I'll paraphrase this poorly. Um, don't, don't let kids or don't teach kids to be kids. They already know how to do that. I mean, our job as parents is to make them adults. And it sounds like your mother really focused more on that latter part. You know, maybe, I don't know if she ever told you that or if she ever mentioned some kind of wisdom like that, but it sounds like she knew that Maxim really well. Yeah, definitely. It, it was always, and like I said, she's always worked with kids. So I think that helps big time because she always got to see, and she's actually mentioned this to me because we've discussed some stuff like this, of course, where me and her are very close. And something that she noticed in her own life was that by teaching kids, when she was younger, like when she was my age, she was running some dance studios and doing cheer competitions, like cheerleading. So she was always around kids from six up through 12th grade. And now she works with collegiate kids. So she's seen hundreds of people and she's nurtured hundreds of people to become better people and become professionals at the same time. And me and my brother were growing up at that same time. And it's not, not necessarily that she got practice, but she got to, there was a lot more interference is the wrong word. <laughs> so much more stimulus there, I guess. Um, Do you think there was a lot of pressure on you from her, you know, having somebody who is quite frankly, just amazing at, so many things in their life, you know, was that, was that a lot of pressure for you? Did you have stress from trying to live in her shadow and try to, you know, emulate that success that she had? No, weirdly enough, or, or maybe there is pressure, but it's the, the really positive kind of pressure. And, and that also comes from her in the house, not being that person. Because when she came home, she would tell us all about what she was doing. And we, we were learning about how hard that it takes or how much work that it takes to get to that level, how difficult that it is just by hearing her in conversations with friends. But around me and my brother, she never talked like that or she never, she never had that energy in the house. So the pressure was there simply because sort of just by, by nurture, by environment, we were like, Oh, this, this is how you become something. This is how you do it. But she never, directly put anything on us and i think it's good because my attitude towards life is very much just i have to work extremely hard for everything doesn't matter what it is i've been given us been given a 
an opportunity with the mom that I have and with the, the resources that are there to do a lot. And the pressure is more towards, okay, I've been given this extraordinary circumstance. What am I going to do with it? Rather than, oh my God, I can't live up to the expectations. Does that make sense? It does. Um, how far apart of, in age are you and your brother? We're like a year and eight months or something. So we're two grades apart in school. And so after your parents got a divorce, was your mother per- the primary caregiver essentially? Yeah, almost, almost exclusively. So as far as you and your brother being, you know, like on career paths and ambition or whatever, would you say that you're probably like on similar type paths or did you guys, you know, become polar opposites? We're, we're kind of funny because we're very, very similar in so many ways, but drastically different in so many ways that if you would look at us, you'd say, oh yeah, they're absolutely brothers. And when you hear us talk, you'd say, oh, they're definitely brothers. But if you looked at our careers, you'd say, oh, that's kind of interesting. They're definitely brothers because they're so different because typically siblings are different. But we just realized recently, like he's a journalist. He's, he's going for journalism. And he's also a thrower. He's also an athlete. He's a D1 athlete. And <laughs> we just sat down. We were laughing over Christmas because we were like, it's hilarious. We're both writers. We're just the opposite polar end of the spectrum in terms of writers. So he's a disc thrower too. How did this happen? Um, you know, I grew up in the South and, you know, I, I think I only ever saw that on the Olympics. So um, I'm just curious if we could take a, a slight detour and talk about discus throwing. Yeah, I, I love talking about discus. It's very fun point in sort of a, my internal story of, of my existence, I guess, because like you said, no one knows what that is. <laughs> or if they do, they've only seen it on the Olympics or like they remember it from middle school when their friend threw it. And I always wanted to be a wrestler. I hated team sports, but me and my brother were pretty big. Like I, I was six one when I was in fifth grade and I had a beard by the time that I was 13. The, the response in our local community, I live right outside of Pittsburgh, which is basically hardcore football country. It's like Texas, but steel country, Texas. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, our, our hometown has, we just had a Super Bowl champion last year. That was two grades above me. Like, it's all football. And I hated that. I, you know, I grew up in the art circuits. I grew up in the, in a world of, of dance and love and acceptance. And here football's like crashing to me, you know. And I respect the, the, sport big time. I respect the work ethic, but I really don't like being part of a team in which, oh, wow. Okay. He's not lifting as hard as me, but we're on the same team. I don't like that at all. So I wanted to choose a a single singular sport, something that I can control all variables. I can control my diet. I can control my input, my output. I get what I get taken back. I don't have to have another circumstance interfere with it. There's no team. There's no coach. We can figure it out in terms of okay, this is exactly what I need to do and no one else can really mess with it and I can do a lot of my own research. So when I was in middle school, I tried wrestling and I kind of liked it, but I had a heart problem. And then early high school, I said, okay, I need to choose a sport because so many artists are very undisciplined. I don't want to be an undisciplined writer. I've seen so many people. What age was this, this thought being born into your mind? Uh, Probably like 15. Wow. It's just, I... 
it was again it just it comes from my mom i remember sitting there and <laughs> we were talking about one of her dancers who was super could have been just amazing but just didn't want to work she just didn't didn't want to travel didn't want to do the the auditions you know the the, the parts that people typically don't want to do yeah and i said okay well if i really want to do this like if i want to write stories and be able to draw and do that stuff for a living I think sports might be a good way to do that. Plus, it'll be good for my body. It's good for my brain. I typically, I hated sports when I was a kid, so it'd be awesome to be able to try to be good at something that I don't like. Yeah. And because of my heart, wrestling didn't work out, so I picked up a discus and threw it pretty far, probably my sophomore year of high school, and then got, got pretty good by the time I was a senior. So, you know, with your background of, of arts, you know, with your mother, um, mm-hmm. it discus throwing I'm a, I'm a big fan of history so i know that yeah. discus throwing i believe goes way back to like the first olympics and yes you know, ancient greece and stuff like that um did did that kind of history element and in the humanities i guess if you will did that kind of play into you know i want to do something kind of timeless and, and epic and you know i kind of think of discus throwing in some way of, of, of being like that yeah Oh, you are dead on. And I, I didn't really realize it until maybe like a year into it. But just the, you know, the famous sculpture by Myron. Or, yeah, by Myron. The famous Discopolis sculpture is so beautiful. And I remember when I when I first touched one and tried it, I just said, my God, the grace required to do this. I grew up in a dance studio. And it turns out that I didn't know this until two years into throwing. My mom was a state discus runner up or something. Wow. I had no idea. She didn't want to tell me and my brother because she didn't want to be weird. <laughs> uh, but we were like, oh my gosh, that's that's amazing because it's so graceful. It requires so much rhythm. And the history of it, you're you're definitely right. The the history of discus is really unique because it's such an not an undervalued sport. It just has a specific niche of people that are involved in it. And the history is so cool. It goes back for so, so, so many generations. Well, and you'd mentioned wrestling and, you know, those are two of the things that, you know, I, I think may have been at the original Greek Olympics, you know, yep. at, what did they call it? They called it, I'm butchering this word, pancreation or something like that. Um, or I, I'm not sure. Maybe I've got that confused with something else, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I'm thinking wrestling and discus throwing and I'm like, you're a Greek. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, I was obsessed with that whole, all the classical period, just, just enthralled by it when I was young. Cause I wanted to be like an anthropologist at some point and wanted to do archeology, span which I think mm-hmm. is where writing comes from too. But the, the appeal of discus was so obviously in retrospect, it was so obviously me. There was no other sport that I think could really nail it down. Like even shot, but shot, put is very cool. But it's from Ireland and, and Scotland, and it's from the. It's not the same thing in terms of the history of it and the, the depth of history artistically. Right. Um. So what? Where was your dad at? You know, make a uh, a dad joke here. Was he just kind of on the sidelines with all the <laughs> sports stuff, or you know, what, what? Where was his perspective on what you were doing? Yeah. So my. Like, I think I, I mentioned your questions. My dad is not deadbeat by any means. He's not like a, like a piece of crap father. It's just that he's, he was fairly apathetic in my childhood. So 
a good example would be I would come home from school and my mom was at rehearsal until one in the morning. And my dad would be sitting on the couch eating a box of Cheez-Its a day watching sports. Wow. And me and my brother are outside. We're running around. We're playing games. We're building big structures out of bricks in the backyard. My mom is working. My dad is not. So when they got divorced, pretty much exclusively hung out with her because that's that's where I wanted to be. That's where I felt I wanted to be. Yeah. Whenever I got into sports, my dad was around a little bit more because he coached baseball at the high school. So I'd like he'd like hang out in the weight room with me and my brother. And we were always on always on good terms. There was nothing ever terrible. It's just the the relationship was fairly superficial. He was always very supportive. He's always there. It's just that I don't I don't know that he knew the he didn't know the gravity of and the weight of how much work was really going into this stuff outside mm-hmm. of seeing us for maybe an hour a day in the weight room. Did you ever talk to him about what his relationship was like with his father? Uh, not really, actually. Because I never really, we never had that kind of conversation or gone into anything like that. I'm always curious whenever um, I talk to somebody who, um, who has a father who isn't, um, I, I, I wouldn't say... I would say more like maybe not as nurturing, as caring as, you know, what children necessarily want from a father. And I'm mm-hmm. curious if it's, if it's learned behavior, um, you know, I hear a lot of these things like, well, this is how my parents did it, or this is the way my dad did it. Um, I've even heard the saying here recently, and I, I totally agree with it. You know, one of the most dangerous words in business, or I think maybe even in general is, um, this is the way we've always done it. Oh, scary. <laughs> Very scary. And, um, you know, I, I like my dad, I, you know, my dad's a great guy, but like, like your dad, you know, he wasn't always there. He didn't, um, you know, he was, he was busy working and he was doing the things that he thought that needed to be done. But, um, there was a lot that, you know, we just didn't have a lot of interaction with. And I've always wished that we had a, a better relationship and you know, we try to, do that more now, but, um, you know, it, it's one of the reasons why I started the show really is just to see like, you know, is there people out there with other similar circumstances? And, and the answer is yes. There's a ton of people out there that have had that same type of thing. And then, you know, maybe they didn't have the mother like you have. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm thankful you had, you had her, um, incredibly, incredibly thankful. But, um, you know, sometimes, you know, the mother in the, in the relationship can't provide some of the things that a father would, or maybe they're just, they're not as amazing as your mother, <laughs> you know, and they, yeah. they can't handle all of that. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's a struggle just to put food on the table, you know, let alone, you know, stay mentally sane and, you know, provide your kids with you know everything that they need. So um, exactly. it is kind of curious, you know, like, you know, what, what's, what's a learned behavior and what's not. Um, but, um, have you ever seen this movie called trading places or I'm sorry, is it trading places? I think it is Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Oh yes. I saw it. It definitely a long time ago. I remember actually you gave me a memory of me sitting on my grandpa's couch watching it. <laughs> um, the, the reason why I bring it up, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people, um, I think it's 
bubbled up to the the surface a little bit and you know that it's it has some racial issues and whatnot but mm-hmm. um those those issues aside one of the the key components of that story and you you probably know this and maybe our viewers do or don't know it but um the the whole movie's on the premises of uh nature versus nurture i'm sorry eyes uh, or no no how did they put it it was um it was environment versus uh, genetics. And yeah. so they took the, the stereotypical rich white guy and they made him a drug dealer. And they took the, the black guy who they thought was a drug dealer and, you know, swapped them out. And they both did incredibly well yeah. <laughs> in their roles. Um, and, uh, you know, it made me as a kid watching this, you know, I'm just, in love with Eddie Murphy. I'm like, man, this is just hysterical. This is funny. And then later on, I'm, I'm watching this again and I'm like, I think it really is about environment. You know, the genetic aspect of it, certainly I, I think that there, there's a, a certain amount of that. Sure. Um, but the gen or the environment is really everything, you know, like Absolutely. if you put, like if, 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 if you put, if your mother wasn't there and, like your father was just your, your main person, you know, in your life, would you be a cheese it eating <laughs> baseball coach too? Um, not to say there's yeah, anything be, wrong with that, but. No, you're, you're right. Like genetics are always there and they always play a part. I mean, you look at some of the greatest, greatest of anything of all time, whether it's an engineer or an athlete, a mathematician, historian, there's always genetics that play into that hugely, but environment cultivates that those genetics because of whether any kind of gene that you have or any kind of talent or inherent ability that's kind of unlocked somewhere deep inside your brain or in your body if you don't have access to a situation or a circumstance in which that can be triggered it's never going to come out it's never going to come out and that that comes from typically parents but it can also come from family in general or friends or anything so um, I'm going to ask you a question. I already know the answer to it, but our, our listeners don't. Um, did your family want you to have kids early on or did they want you to wait until later on? Yeah. So we have super supportive family. Not only was it my mom who really raised me, but when my mom was away, because she'd have to go away for a long time. She'd be away for a couple weeks at a time or a month at a time. And they would always kill her, but she knew that she had to do it because that's her job. And again, she was so loving to me and my brother that we were never like, oh my God, we hate you because you had to leave. We would stay with her parents. And my grandparents are also super supportive in a different kind of way. They have different energy. They're both super hardworking. You know, they obviously they made my mom. So, right. And they made my incredible aunts and my uncle who has now passed. They've created a very loving, interesting family full of very eclectic little characters and the whole idea of having kids young if it would have happened i probably would have been slapped with a mop (laughs) they they probably would have in in a funny way you know they if something would have happened they would have been there in a second in a heartbeat to to help and, and and be there for me as much as i needed it but i think the the general consensus was you know, Jake and my brother's name is Jackson. So Jake and Jacks are probably going to end up doing something. They they understood that we had big ideas for where we wanted to be in life. 
and they there's no pressure to get married or have kids at all. So they're I, I know I know you're you're young, you're 23. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you think that it'll come at some point later on where you know maybe you're you're busy and you're getting close to 30 and stuff like that, and your mom you think your mom will ever be that person who's like well, I really want to be a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> she she would probably love to be a grandma, but it would never be in the way that sometimes, like when you're watching a film or sometimes your, your parents will say like weird stuff that makes you uncomfortable. It would never be in that sort of way. Uh, gotcha. It would always be like a much more of a concern for my health than it would be for her involvement or her wants as a person. It would never be oh you know i want grandkids it'd be like but don't you want kids now while you're young it'd be more of that sort of question gotcha um <laughs> I, I love your answer to this next question but i'm gonna ask it <laughs> obviously everybody doesn't know um was your father your mother supportive of your dating choices yeah i don't date at all <laughs> um i i never really have i just have again it it comes down to that and probably naively just ambitious attitude like in high school this this might sound kind of funny i as i said i didn't really start training until i was like a sophomore Mm -hmm. so you could imagine the nerdy kid who used to just draw all over the place and i was friends with everybody because my mom coached cheerleading so i was friends with i really try to talk to everybody i don't care what you do i don't care if you're a drug dealer or a in quotes popular kid because those clicks don't really exist too much anymore yeah i try to talk to everybody but when i started training my body changed big time and i started yeah. getting a little bit more attention <laughs> and i didn't care <laughs> i didn't care i never been too much of a big seeking it out for myself i'm pretty happy with where i'm at and i want to make sure that and I'm sure that it'll happen before this happens because of how life is. But I'd like to be in a little bit more stable of a spot when it comes to my career, my authorship, my writing, and my art before I make that kind of commitment. And my parents, well, my my dad doesn't care at all. Trust me, he's he's whatever. But my mom is, is very much supportive of whatever that I would do. You know, she she'd say okay, but she'd also be like. Is this the right girl? This is the way that most parents are. Right. Yeah. That that's that's great advice. Um, I I uh, <laughs> made all kinds of horrible dating choices, and um, honestly, you know, looking back, you know, if I had probably done what you you did, um, I couldn't tell you where I would be at today. You know, if I'd been able to have that focus and not be so obsessed with having to have some counterpoint in my life to, to share it with. Um, and, and just to go blindly out into the dark and just say yes to just about everything like Jim Carrey. <laughs> yes, man. It's like, yes. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I read that and I was just like, that, that just spoke to me. I was like, geez, I wish I'd done that. Um, you know, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's pretty tough sometimes and there have of course been situations where I've almost been with somebody or they've sort of had a almost relationship type but it always comes down to just kind of close my eyes for a second and say okay but is this really worth maybe taking 
hours out of my week and focus out of my out of my work. And it's not necessarily work for work's sake. It's it's because it's what I love and what I want to do. And I try to think big picture a lot when it comes to that that sort of stuff. And my family's always been I mentioned earlier and I mentioned a lot of the answers to questions. My family's super open about a lot of things. Like we were given the sex talk super young and I think that also plays into it because me and my brother are super respectful about those sort of things. You know, we're very, we grew up in a dance studio, so we're super liberal leaning in terms of that sort of stuff. I I know I am, but at the same time, it's not a priority because I think that we were exposed to everything so young that it's much more just, Oh, that's a part of life. It's, it's not a, and I'm going to, I'm not going to go seek it out. Right. It's more about meaning and love and trying to build something foundationally special rather than jumping into something just for a quick pleasure, whether that means friendship or relationships. And my, I know that my mom is definitely that kind of person too, which is why I think it kind of rubbed off on me. I I think that's great. Uh, You know, in reading what, what you put on there, I didn't quite get the whole story until you just said what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, it, it, it makes perfect sense. And it honestly, it's something I'm going to take away from this conversation and consider what I should do with my kids because they're getting to that age. You know, my daughter's turning 12 on Monday. Yeah. And my son just turned seven. Yeah, thank you. She's uh <laughs> she's a Valentine's day baby. So, Oh, that's tell awesome. My that's wonderful. I was like, I don't have to get you flowers ever again. Um, not that I ever really did that. I, I don't like the whole, I I don't generally like Valentine's day as a, as like a, Oh, well I need somebody to tell you that, or tell me that I I love somebody else or or Hallmark cards. Right. Yeah. Cheap candy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'd much prefer to like pick a day and I generally do, you know, like today is, is, is your special day, you know, just at random. Uh, I think they get more out of it, but yeah, I'm like, She's the greatest gift you could ever get for Valentine's Day. Everything else is just pales in comparison. But um, kind of going back to, you know, your your parents kind of opening up the world to you and, you know, you just kind of assimilating it, you know, as it kind of happens. Um, you know, I think for for me, you know, and, and me growing up, there was a lot of stuff that was kind of hidden from me. Mm-hmm. My mother was very much like the, <laughs> the censorship person, you know, very conservative in, in that aspect of it. My dad, whenever he was at home, um, <laughs> it, was, it was actually a, a great or horrible story. Um, so I grew up in the eighties and pretty much every eighties movie had TNA. Um, yeah, they really did. you know, it was All just, that was just what, what happened. And, um, I'm watching something and it's, it's probably, by today's standards, it's probably most of the movie is great. You know, it's probably PG. And then all of a sudden, bare breasts show up. Yeah. <laughs> and so my parents were actually going out on a date. And when you know it, as soon as they walk past the TV, breasts show up. And so my mm-hmm. mother's like, turn that off, turn that off. And my dad's like, no, let him watch it. It's good for him. <laughs> yeah. That's such and, a dad thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, dad's pretty cool. <laughs> and, um, but you know, they got a divorce. It wasn't too many years after that. And, um, actually it could have been very soon after that. My sense of time back then was a little, 
I wasn't really paying attention, but I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, I was, I was attracted to all these things that were, were covered up and hidden and we shouldn't talk about it. It's very much like the, the garden of Eden story. It's like, you can have this and you can have this and you can have this, but you can't have that. It's like, I didn't want that until you told me I couldn't have it. Mm -hmm. Now I want to try it. Um, so I, I think, you know, your mom's approach of having, you know, here it is, here's life, you know, this is what happens, you know, and the mysteries are kind of, I, I wouldn't say that they're gone, but like, you just kind of understand. Um, I, I think that might've helped me be more, um, less of a pleasure seeker, I guess, or less of wanting to have relationships and be, you know, out there you know, focus on that type of thing. The things that I never had or never saw or was exposed to, I think, I think it may have, I may have been able to assimilate all this data, I guess, and be like, okay, here's what life is about. And now I can make my choice as to where I want to go. Um, but if there's all these hidden things and, you know, like in Harry Potter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't go into this section of books. Well, what did they do? They all went and <laughs> started reading those books. Yes, exactly. Like almost every movie. So that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I Something that a lot of my friends didn't really get at first. And now, now everybody gets it. We're obviously adults now. Um, in middle school, I was the crazy one, like a crazy party animal. Mm-hmm. And that's middle school, right? So you're like 12, 13, 14. Now, I developed early. Like I mentioned, I had like a beard by the time that I was 13. I had to shave every day. And they were like, you need to go buy a spear, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Everybody thought, and I think that developing really was a good thing because I kind of got all that, um, all those ideas like out of my system, I guess. And by the time that we got to high school and or late middle school, early high school, when, when kids start to do, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever, I, I didn't want any of it. And I still don't. I, I don't drink. I never have. Never never been drunk for sure. I don't, I don't touch any any drugs or substances just because I just don't. It's not like a staunch moral stance or anything. It's just that I grew up in an environment where, you know, maybe you're at a, maybe you're at like a party with your family or your your family friends, and the parents are like, you know, every, all the little kids come around. They take like a little sip of wine or a little sip of beer, you know. And my family was always the kind that was like, you know, if you guys ever want like alcohol for your party, you know, and then they kind of wink, wink. <laughs> but that, that was a good thing. At least for me, it was a good thing because we grew up in an environment that was also, while it was funny and joking, they didn't realize that by being funny and by being jokey, it made us desensitize and just say, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like this stuff's not that exciting. Yeah. Which I saved um, me big time, saved me a ton of headaches, trust me. I'm sure in my teenage years in a different life I'd be a completely different animal. I um we we do Passover and um we we were basically kind of a, a Jewish type of lifestyle, Hebrew. Um we keep kosher, that type of stuff. And um mm -hmm. so whenever we do Shabbat, um, you know, Saturday or I'm sorry, Friday nights, you know, wine is always on the menu, wine and, and bread. And um <laughs> anyway, um, I'm always trying to give my kids wine and my daughter's always turning a nose up at, at it. And she's like, that's, that's horrible. It's alcohol. Blech, you know? And, um, I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted you to turn your nose up against alcohol. Um, my son, on the other hand, he doesn't like wine, but, um, 
you know, there was one day I was, I had a beer and I was just like, I'll let him have a little sip and you know, he'll, he won't like it. And this will be a good thing. And so I, I, I kind of like here, taste this. And he has a taste and he's like, Mm, thumbs up. And I'm like, I just made the worst mistake. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. That is so funny. You, I could totally see that. You just put a picture on mine. Like you're hanging out on the couch. You're like, Oh, you know, my, my son, I'll get him off of it forever. And he just has this big smile and your face drops. Yeah. My, like my wife hates beer and, um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I really like it per se, but, uh, living in Alaska, I, I think you just kind of have to, you know, when in Rome, there's a lot of beer up here, a lot of coffee. So, um, yeah. So sometimes, uh, but I'm not, I'm definitely not a big drinker. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like I would rather be in control of my faculties 99% of the time, every once in a while, 1%, maybe, maybe it's nice to let loose and not worry. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly everything in moderation. Um, so um, this is this is pretty popular um, question that I've that I've asked. Um, so in movies and televisions, televisions, I say this every time. I swear to God, <laughs> I'll say in movies and movies and televisions. Um, yeah. But there's a there's a tendency for father figures to be kind of portrayed as absent or negatively. Now, based off of what you know, we've kind of heard from you. Do you think that this holds true in real life and and why or why not? Yeah, that, that's really, really interesting question. So the cool part, I guess the cool part about being a writer and the also not cool part is that the reason I'm a writer isn't because I became, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. It's just that I guess the way that my brain works, I really like to study people. And mm-hmm. I always have since I was a kid. Like I said, I wanted to be an anthropologist originally and archaeologist and I went through a bunch of different phases. And I think that there's a massive, massive truth to the, the TV and film stereotypes, mainly because at the end of the day, while we can refer to fathers and dads or even mothers and then moms as sort of the, the, the archetype, like the parent in quotes, the parent, right? At the end of the day, they are people and a lot of people have a lot of baggage and a lot of people are very flawed and make a lot of mistakes. And when we start to look at media, and start to look at the people that are creating that media. A lot of times the people that, that write these shows or are involved in their creation and inceptions, they likely process that information slightly differently than the average person. So when they're creating something, they're going to include more flawed characters that though they are true to life, sometimes they can be a tiny bit sensationalized, but most of the time, I mean, I know that in my life, not a lot of people are perfectly happy with both parents. Everybody always has an issue with one parent. And in the case of most writing, which is done by men in Hollywood, at least for the long, longest time, that's definitely going to come down to a lot of daddy issues. Yeah, I hear the, the term daddy issues, and I always have to wonder, I was like, is there ever mommy issues? <laughs> You know, oh, definitely. Like I, I just hear, I hear daddy issues more than I hear mommy issues. And, um, it, maybe that is the case. Maybe there are more of those particular type of issues, but, um, I was kind of curious, you know, where that falls, you know, especially in the, what is it? The, um, 
the and forgive me for my Greek Oedipus Oedipus complex and Electra mm-hmm. complex. These complexes, you know, they they refer to that you know weird you know attachment to you know a particular parent. But um, but yeah, it seems it seems like Hollywood has has a thing against you know um, fathers in, in some ways. Um, not always, but um, a lot of Disney movies seem to. <laughs> yeah, I have a big problem with fathers for some reason. Yeah, I think it's a, it's also a story tradition. It's always come down to if you look at like even the Animal Kingdom, a lot of times males kill males for dominance, and when you start to look at ancient human history and all the stories that came through and that have now blossomed into our modern culture, there's a massive and beautiful, I got beautiful might be the wrong word ugly through line of you know you look at the titans of of mediterranean mythology and whether they would just slaughter their children and sacrifice their children if you look at most most cultures where sacrifice was involved parents would always go after kids male kings would kill kill their heirs so that the bloodline would be in a, in a state of jealousy they would maybe kill their firstborn son because he had a bigger pull for the throne you know mm-hmm. and sometimes that starts to bleed into everything from art to stories to the point where in modern culture you know you turn on any tv and guarantee you because most of the time it's written by a guy it's written by a male author we're going to have a similar idea and the last few years if you actually like really look at film and tv maybe the last 15 years and especially the last few years a lot of movies look at the writers they start to be directed by women, you'll see a lot more, I'd say, realistic portrayals of mothers as individuals rather than sort of idealized perfection. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, it does. For some reason, the first thing that pops in my head is um, The Walking Dead. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you're a fan of that show or whatever, but you've got so many strong uh, female characters in that show. And then you also have a lot of strong mothers in that show specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it just kind of comes to mind as, you know, I think, um, I, I think it's Gail Ann Hurd um, that essentially spearheaded that most of the production on that show. But um, everybody mostly knows. Um, oh, I totally forgot his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, the guy with the, the gun and the beard. Which uh, is it, Daryl? Is that his name? Uh, Daryl is the is the the fan favorite. Um, oh, okay, yeah, I never actually watched it. I only watched a couple episodes. Uh, he, he's um, he's the British guy that plays. He played the main character. Um, oh, he's a great actor. I don't know the character name. Though. Andrew Lincoln. I remember his the character or the actor's name. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember, um, you know, the character's name. But um, a lot of people see it as you know that show was really about him and then whenever he left you know the show was more about that collective vibe but the show to me nowadays is not more it's not so much about zombies per se but it's it's about um i think how stephen king would would put it you put regular people into an irregular situation and you just kind of see what happens and you know these people you know sometimes they turn into monsters and sometimes you know they're people that are just you wouldn't think that they would become a leader but then they are and a lot of those people in that show are women that are leaders who 
really do amazing things with whatever that crazy world is, has given them. Um, so this, this seems like a natural place for you to plug your stuff. So, um, tell us about a mini tail and, and is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. Yeah. It's a mini tail. And some people think it's, or find it difficult. It's, it's not grammatically correct you know, by any, by any means. Yeah. yeah. But, but tell us about it. I'm, I'm like reading, you know, the, the website and the premise sounds really interesting. So, um, I would love to know more and I'm sure our listeners would too as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So a mini tail is very strange. That, that's the, the point of it is to be strange because it was the, the entire inception was not to be what it is. It was never to be online. It was never to be published. It was never supposed to be seen by anybody. You know, we already talked that I was an athlete for a long time and I, I take my writing pretty seriously in that same regard. You know, I don't wait for inspiration to strike. I just, I just write every day. I work on stuff. I'm brainstorming, drawing. And a many tale, whenever the pandemic hit, right when it started, maybe within a few months, I started to notice that my, uh, my creative work just wasn't, my prose was stagnant. You know, I'd be, I'd be working for maybe an hour, hour, 15 minutes. And somewhere in that time where I would be doing my writing sprint, I would just find the words just were not pretty. You were trying to force the words. They weren't coming to you. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to do that, but it wasn't, it didn't feel good. It it felt way too grindy. Mm -hmm. And I I said, okay, well, what's going on here? And I realized, oh my gosh, I have not been able to play Dungeons and Dragons. And the the game of D and I'm not sure if you're familiar with how it works or anything. I am. <laughs> yeah. Bet. yeah, we you know you sit around the table and everybody plays a character, and me being the the author in the group, I'm, I'm the DM, so I, I run the world, I play all of the kind of side characters, I, I make the lore, I write the story, all that stuff. And I noticed the the same way that an actor without an improv class kind of loses their their skill, loses their honing. Even playing D&D once every like three weeks like we do, I was missing the little bit of juice that I needed. Just a little bit of high that that comes from. The same as like competing if you're, if you're an athlete. You really need to sometimes just get out there and just do something to get your heart rate up. And D&D was a lot like that for me. Six hours every like three weeks, sit at the table, some friends, and tell a good story. It was not there. So I decided to take all these ideas that I've had for a long time. When it comes to like web serials or like old school blogs that used to be online when I was a kid, maybe in the early 2000s to late 2010s or early 2010s, I said, okay, well, I'm just going to take that improv that I need and kind of combine it with the vibe of weird sci-fi from those blogs, from old YouTube channels and, and like Wikipedia, just going down Wikipedia rabbit holes. I said, sweet, I'm just going to grab some dice and get like a yellow notepad and get a pencil. And just for 15 minutes a day, I'm going to roll dice to decide what my character can and can't do. And then I have to create the story around that. And it worked. It actually felt amazing. It was beautiful. And for 15 minutes a day, for like for just months on end, I was just kind of messing around with this, this idea. And I, I, I hate anthropomorphic characters. I hate, like, you know, any kind of animal character. I don't know why. <laughs> but... I said, okay, well, I hate that. So I'm just going to have this story about something that I'm not too big of a fan of. And at the same time, I also really like Mass Guard and Red Wall, like stories about mice living in a field. Mm-hmm. Or like Peter Rabbit, the old Peter Rabbit books. 
I love that stuff. So I said, oh, it'd be really cool to kind of play a mouse in a garden because it's not super high concept. It doesn't take a lot of thought. I could just play around with some cute little scenes and ideas. And then all of a sudden I got bored with that. And I said, okay, well, what if this mouse kind of gets cursed by an elder god to blip through time and space? And every time that I sit down to write for that 15 minutes, he's on a new planet with a new genre. So he could be in a Western. He could be in a, in a space opera. He could be in a more Star Trek grounded setting. He could be on a Formula One racetrack and then have to race a car or something. I said, okay, well, that's a lot of fun. You know, that that's, I'm never going to publish this. So I'll just kind of have some fun with it and see where it goes. But then I really fell in love with the story. I mean, it, it, it happened pretty fast. It became very existential and really heartfelt in a way that I didn't expect it to. And I think I attribute that to the, the improv. I was missing that in my, in my normal novel writing. Now all of a sudden it was helping me write better and this exercise would become something special in my daily life that I cherished. And I said, you know what? I'm getting to the point where I don't want to compete anymore. I'm just going to go full send in on this. I'm just going to build the website. I'm going to get all the art done. I'm going to call some friends, pull in some favors. I'm going to do the art myself sometimes when I need to. And I'm just going to look back at these stories and just start publishing them. And then the, I guess the rest is history. The last I started in August, August 12th, and I've been to some conventions. Like I, I built a mascot and carried him around in the backpack at some, some really big D&D conventions. And now we, we're launching a business with like a like an art line. You can buy like prints and stuff. It's really exciting. It's super weird inception. The story came about from some really strange ideas, but they collectively make something that I'm I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah, it it, it definitely sounds weird, you know. And I say weird as a compliment because mm-hmm. I don't like weird. Um, <laughs> but it also it also has some familiar elements to quite a bit of it. Um, you know, like you, you mentioned Star Trek and, you know, Star Trek, the, the original series, you know, there was a lot of, you know, ending up in, in different places and different times and, um, you know, these alternative dimensions, like where, well, what if they ended up on a planet where the Nazis won or, you know, yeah. you know, just other, other types of things. So it, it has that familiar type of like like freshness, I guess, you know, like week mm-hmm. to week or episode to episode, there is this, um, element of, of something fresh happening and, you know, something new to challenge and, you know, different conversations that, or, or challenges that, you know, and how does, how does the protagonist, how was that, that, that name? Um, Opaline. Opaline? Yeah. Yeah. The, for Opaline to actually kind of interact with that world and, and what those challenges are. Um, I, I really love Star Trek. I don't really like the original series, but, um, the one thing I did like about that series was it, it, it challenged people's thoughts and ideas on, you know, what was maybe not a morality play, but more of, you know, like here's, here's what would happen with somebody that you like a character that you know and love, um, and what they would, what, ha- what would happen to them? You know, would they you know, what would, what would Kirk do? What would Spock do? Um, you know, sometimes it wasn't always the, the right answer and maybe you'd learn something from that as well as from the interaction that you expected. Um, mm. but it, it's neat. It also kind of feels like it's like a, a metaverse type of 
thing as well, um, which is, I think a lot of people are into with, you know, the way Marvel has handled a lot of stuff. Um, so it's, it, it definitely sounds interesting. Um, Thank you. And, and hearing you talk a little bit more about it definitely makes me want to want to dive into it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I think that you'd appreciate it a lot. The, a lot of things that I tell people is, okay, yes, it's, it's a story about a mouseling and he blips through all these worlds. And it sounds super weird. Just give the first couple of paragraphs of the first story to read. And I promise you, it's not going to be what you expected it to be. That's it's always my pitch. It's just give, give it a second because it's, it's going to be a little different. And I do like the art too. The art is. Thank you. Um, you, you mentioned D and D. Um, and you know, whenever you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, I kind of go way back. Um, actually pretty far back for me, like early eighties, you know, I'm like five or six, seven years old. And you know, I've got a friend of mine who's older, who's exposing me to all these things. And I'm reading like the original dungeon, dungeons and dragons, you know, DMS handbook. And like, I'm not really great at reading at that point, but the pictures told everything, like everything that you'd want and more. And, you know, you just stare at these pictures in these books and like, there's like a paladin in hell. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like, wow. It's like, it's like, what happened here? What was, how did he get to hell? And you know, what is he battling? Is he going to get out? Is he going to leave? You know, there's all these things that that art kind of makes you think about. So like hearing you talk about the story um, with Opaline and what he's accomplishing and just kind of going from dimension to dimension, I'm looking at all this art and uh, it's, it's, it's like you're creating like this neat little mythology, kind of like in a D and D kind of way. Um, you know, the art's a little different here. There's the arts different there. It's, it's very comfortable, but intriguing at the same time. I, I think um, for me, I'm also a wannabe writer. Um, like podcasting is kind of like the natural, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say natural. It's the next evolution of my writing process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I listen to authors. I, I, I read authors and it's ones that are comfortable that are, they're the ones that I really like, you know, I'm familiar with the way they talk and, their um the way that they flow so for me when i'm whatever i'm reading it's like a movie and the movie has to play at a certain speed and certain authors just their prose does not flow very well and so the movie stops and it's jerks and it just it doesn't flow very well and i just put it down so what i'm comfortable with is definitely like it flows in my mind so something like this yeah i mean i, I think if you're a fan of, you know, Star Trek or any of that multiversal type of entertainment or just episodic changes in, in a very weird D and D world. Um, yeah, I think that you'd love this. Um, I'm starting to find myself in love with it now already. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's Star Trek's a really good, it's, it's, it's really good comparison, I guess, because the, the concept when I realized kind of what was happening, like when I realized the story was getting good, I said, oh my God, wait, this is just, it's a fantasy story with a science fiction premise. 
it is it is about a mouse and yeah it's super weird and we go from place to place and there are some like alice in wonderland episodes or or racing episodes there's always strange questions being asked but at the heart of it it is a very existential science fiction question is poised question may or may not be answered kind of story he has sent across the universe and the Part of the big idea, part of the big conflict is that he began uh, life as a field mouse. He was a very tiny, easily stepped on, squished little creature. He was like a, a sorcerer's apprentice type thing. He was just a little familiar, like a, a mouse. And now he is not a mouse. He's kind of mutated to become like a hobbit-sized mouse. And he's thrown through just so much culture. He blips into new worlds and has to, okay, like, is is it really worth interfering with these people's lives to help them, or am I going to make it worse? And a lot of the conflict comes from ideas that are way more science fiction based than they are fantasy based. And you mentioned existentialism, which I always have a hard time even saying the word. Um, tell me about tell me about that, and 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 let let us know have you ever dealt with existentialism yourself as far as like, like a personal crises or, or whatnot? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, th- I think a lot of people, if you become a little artistic or if you're a really big fan of film or you become more self-aware, I think that that always creeps into a point. And yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely had my thoughts, but it's never been too huge on the mind. But writing this story, I've really, I've taken the dive into just, oh, wow, these are really interesting ideas. And the fact that we can even really think about them makes it that much more interesting. So I've got to ask, um, have you ever talked to your mother about existentialism and, you know, maybe challenges or thoughts you've had around that? Because honestly, I, I don't think my dad would give me the time of day about it. I think he, his answer would probably be very flippant and, um, just not what I was looking for. And I don't think my mother would even care. <laughs> so I'm curious if, if you've had that, that conversation with your mother or your father. Maybe never like a, maybe never a true formal conversation, but I think that it's just a, again, like most of my answers, I think it was just all implied. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that my dad is much more of a, Oh, well, this is just how it is. This is how it is. You know, he's yeah. working at the same place for the last 20 years and has never gotten a promotion because he's comfortable. And he, like him and my mom divorced, but he has the same apartment and he hasn't moved. His friends are not tremendously great people. And he's been, you know, there's no movement there. And I don't right. know that he's, I don't know that he can really comprehend existentialism at all. My mom definitely gets it. She, she would absolutely understand and probably love to have conversations about it, frankly. We probably talk about it all the time without really realizing or being specific about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, I, I think my dad, you know, very similar to your dad in the perspective of like, you know, I, I think he would, my dad's actually very smart, but I, I just don't think he would give it the time of day. I don't, you know, just be like, why are you, why are you worried about that? You know, don't worry about yeah. it. You know, that type of like, just brush it away where, you know, a, a lot of times I, I kind of struggle with that. 
especially whenever it comes to, you know, what do you do with your kids later on? I mean, whenever they, they have those questions later on and, you know, you don't really have a good answer because <laughs> I, oh, I honestly, I don't think anybody's got a good answer for it. Um, no, no. you know, reconciling, you know, religion with science and reason, you know, it's, it's, it's all a matter of faith and what happens when your faith is shaken? What do you do? And it's like, I'm sorry, kids. I, I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I don't, no, I don't know if anybody scary. ever really has a good answer. No, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, people can poise all the questions they want. Some people so, so much more intelligent than I am how to discuss this stuff. But I think what, What's kind of interesting is that you, like you mentioned, having a conversation with my parents about it never really happened, but I think it's just something that I think about due to the idea of hard work and, and how much, how far is that going to get you? And then this story, the whole idea is that Opaline, Opaline whenever he becomes cursed, he's just a tiny little field mouse. He's, he's just living a, a normal, happy life and almost like the, the typical story of you know, Frodo or Bilbo being torn from home and being ripped into an adventure, Opaline doesn't have a choice. He never got to make the choice. He gets thrown into a cosmic conflagration, for lack of a better term. Just an absolute raging fire of existence in which now he's moving through time and space, impacting people's lives just by existing. And I really, it's really fun playing with that because no one has the answers. There's no right. answers. So it's kind of fun to explore that in a story that could be quite pulpy, which it is. It's, it's pulpy, but fun pulpy. And trying to have a little bit of meaning there. Trying to figure out, okay, everybody, I think most people at least think about the stuff at some point in their life. And to have a character's agency ripped away with them, the whole idea is like in the first episode, he makes the choice to take his agency back. He's like, okay, just because I'm going to be thrown through these worlds and just because I may have an impact, it doesn't mean that I want to leave a negative impact. You know, I, I could give up and just sit and, and sulk and be thrown from place to place, or I can stand up and just try and help just one person, just make a choice. That is, that is uh, a pretty powerful statement. I, I think of whenever you're talking about that, all, all I could think of was, you know, what if what if Opaline didn't want to want this and rejected it and fought against it? Mm-hmm. You know, I I think of lots of movies and books and you know even my own life where like I fought what essentially was my own destiny and it didn't work. It was just it was fruitless. Um, that you know this is this is where I'm going. No matter what I tried, you know it was I was still gonna go. Um, have you ever taken that character to that, that point of like, you know, I don't want this. Um, I'm tired of it, you know, but still having to do it. Yeah. The, the opening of the story, what's kind of fun is that, as I said before, it began as an exercise. So I played through his entire childhood. I played through his entire adolescence. I played up until the point where he got cursed. He, he touched a goddess, like a, a goddess who is also cursed, and now he's stuck in her loop, her divinity. So anytime she blips, he blips with her, and there are other characters that also do it. So there's sort of like a small party. And when I was conceiving of, okay, well, now I'm going to publish this stuff, where am I going to start? Because I have so much information 
I could start at the very beginning of his life, but I don't know that it would mean as much because it would take years for me to get to the point where publishing weekly, I'd be able to get to the fun part, which is him blipping. And then I realized, oh, wait, I'm just going to start him at his lowest point. So in episode one, he has been on one world for 55 years. And part of the problem is that he doesn't know how long he's going to spend on any planet. So he could be there for two days, two weeks, two minutes. And after half a century, he had built an entire life. And he wakes up one day and it's all gone. And he blips. So episode one kind of goes through that whole darkness. It goes through the darkness. Did you ever see, um, or, or do you think that there's parts of you in Opaline as far as like some of your experiences and wisdom in there? Yeah, I think so. Sure. He's part of the reason that I kind of, when I decided to go through with this, I had some other ideas like, well, maybe I shouldn't use him. Maybe I shouldn't use this character. If I'm going to publish an online serial, maybe I should write something new. And then I realized, no, because what can happen is I can become very tired and burnt out and not be able to write a new character. But Opaline has a lot of me in him. He's pretty simple. The voice isn't very difficult. Some of the prose, it's not as complicated as a novel in terms of the writing quality. It's good. I'm, I'm happy with it. It's not like crap, don't get me wrong. But right. it's easy for me to fall into. He's, there's so much of me in the ideas being presented because it's all over the place. It's all of my, my loves and my hates that I can just sit down at any week and say, oh, you know what? I watched a movie. I enjoyed it. I wonder if I can present my version of that idea or my take on, on that philosophy in this little 4,000 word episode. Do you see parts of your mother in this world that you've created um, or as, as a character or as maybe some kind of force of nature, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. Because, because of what she's instilled in me, a lot of what comes out of me, like when it comes to, it's not really a spoiler because the first episode is the pilot, you know? Right. So he does, of course, if he didn't make the decision to keep going and be a, in quotes, hero, we wouldn't have a story. So in the first episode, he does stand up after facing some serious, some serious crap. And I think that absolutely comes from, from her and what she taught me because no matter what happens, you know, she's always going to stand up and walk through the fire and I'm going to do the same. And my brother will do the same. A lot of people in my family are like that. Well, Jake, um, this has been an awesome time. Um, I, I really appreciate you being on our podcast and, and giving us your, your thoughts and perspectives and telling us ab about Opaline and that, that character, a mini tale. Um, if you, if you have a couple minutes, could you just plug your, uh, your website and maybe some of your other social media and, um, let's just kind of close out from here and let, uh, let the people, um, go out and check out your stuff. Of course. Yeah. So many tales completely free. Uh, if you're interested in reading it, I don't charge for it. It's sort of a way for me to get my name out there and go to conventions and then meet agents and editors without having to have that barrier of a self-published book. Whole thing's free. You can find it at www.amanytale.com. Our Instagram is a underscore many underscore tail. And you can see some of the art there. 
if you'd like to, to check out the stories, the first three are right on the homepage of the website. And those first three will give you a good indication of what is going on, especially episodes one and three. Episode two is a little fun. But one and three, everything that we have just discussed in terms of the existentialism presented in the story is is pretty well explained or, or laid out for you. And I, I'd love you guys to check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, definitely, definitely. So, um, thank you, Jake White, um, for being on our show. Um, this, that's pretty much it for this episode of you're not my father. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to us and get your weekly dose of you're not my father. We're very, we're available wherever fine podcasts are sold, given away, bartered, traded like uh, Bitcoin. If you found this podcast useful, please spread the word on social media, tell your friends, pets, existential time traveling mice anybody else who will listen <laughs> you can also follow us on facebook.com slash ynmf show that's it for us at you're not my father remember if you're a fan of us then we're a fan of you take it easy stay positive and remember good vibes only <laughs>